In high school, one of the jobs that I worked was with a landscaping company. I learned a lot of great kind of tricks of the trade there, but it was also just really hard and good, honest work in the hot sun in the summer and even into the cool fall. We worked all day. And so when my boss actually let us off halfway through the day, because we had finished the job that we were on, we were just elated. We couldn't believe that we were actually going to get more time in the day to just have fun, to just hang out with friends and do whatever we did when I was in high school, hanging out. So I got in our family van and I was driving home down a road that I drove very often. And as is when things are very familiar, uh, I got into a car accident. It was my fault. And I learned a valuable lesson, uh, including the fact that I totaled our family van. I had totaled our family van and I was just like, oh man, my dad's gonna kill me. I didn't want to worry my mom, and so I did end up calling my dad first. I said, Dad, told him what happened. He came over. We talked. It was good. And he kind of had the same thought. Like, let's not worry your mother. It's only like a little after lunch. She's not expecting, she's not expecting either of us until uh, at least after supper or around that time. And so let's just go ahead and go to the ER and make sure everything's okay. So we waited till the tow truck came, right, and all the police business was done, and I received my citation. All that was done, and we headed over to the hospital. We're good. I had some bumps and some bruises and some scratches, but just wanted to do, uh, you know, uh, do measure just to make sure that, that everything was okay. And everything was going to plan, except that we had no idea what was going on at home. You see, that road that I had traveled on often, that was also the same road that many of my friends travel often as well. And they knew that was our van. They knew that I was driving the van that day because I was working that day. And so when they saw the van in its total mess and they didn't see me, they just jumped to anxiety of like, is Mark okay? Just genuine care and concern, is Mark okay? So they did what every good friend would do. They got together, three of them did. I had more than three friends, but three of them got together and they went to my house. And you can imagine my mom's surprise and instant anxiety when she opens the door and sees three of my friends who are just stricken with anxiety themselves going, is Mark okay? Is Mark okay? And her answer is just simply, what are you talking about? What do you mean he's okay? My mom ended up calling all the different hospitals in the area trying to locate us because for whatever reason, I don't remember why, we weren't answering our, our cell phones. And uh, I'll never forget sitting in the emergency room next to my dad and everything is going great. And then all of a sudden over the, over the intercom in the waiting room, my dad's name is also Mark, uh, over the intercom in the waiting room, an announcement is made. Mark Deering, please come to the front desk. You have a phone call. It's your wife. 
And I'll never forget as a teenager looking at my dad and him looking at me, and I know his look now as a husband that I didn't know then. He just said, uh, oh boy, <laughs> this isn't going to be good. Uh, you can imagine just my mom's anxiety, just what happened to Mark? Like, why didn't you call? Why didn't you touch base at least to tell me what was going on? What happened? Maybe you've been there yourself. Uh, hopefully it was a similar situation where no one uh, was hurt. Uh, but maybe you've been there yourself where something has happened and you don't know what the result was. And it's something you care about or one you care about. And you just ask yourself the question, what happened? Are they, are they okay? This is the emotion that the Apostle Paul has when he sends Timothy to go check on one of the churches that he had to just have an abrupt exit. You see, as Paul was making his missionary journey, he was in Thessalonica. And as was Paul's uh, custom, he went to the Jewish synagogue and just started preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit was moving. Some Jews put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Many who weren't Jews started putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, including some who were kind of of a prominent stature in Thessalonica, and that was sending some disruption for those who thought they had control of the situation. And so those in authority uh, in the Jewish community organized a riot to push Paul out. And they took the, the friend who was housing Paul and they threw him in front of the courts. And they tried to get the, the Romans involved with some false accusations. And uh, the Romans thankfully just said, uh, tell you what, you pay us you know, in a promise, if you, were, if you will, that you'll uh, have Paul and Silas leave and we'll be okay. Paul and Silas were just kicked out of town uh, prematurely. They didn't get to finish the work that they had started. Paul is now in Corinth, and after many attempts to try and get back to the church in Thessalonica, he's able to finally send Timothy and say, Timothy, go check. And it's the same kind of anxiety, if you will, that my mom had when she heard that something had happened to us, but she didn't know what the result was. He said, see how our friends are doing. And we catch up with his emotions here in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians in the Bible when we read this. In fact, he says, starting in verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. He was kicked out of town. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But the good news is that Timothy returned with a, a good report of how the church, even though they didn't get the full training that, that Paul had wanted to give them, the church was doing okay. There are some, definitely some things to work on. And, and Paul prays a prayer over them. So as we've been in a series about how to talk to God, today we're going to dive into a text and examine how we talk to God about other people. 
how we talk to God about other people and with all that's happening today. I don't have to tell you what what happened in the news because to be honest, maybe you're watching this later in the week. A new story could have broken by then. Who knows? And knowing from a biblical perspective at least one way in which how we should talk to God about other people could be really important for us. And what Paul prays over them and prays for them is so disruptive to their faith. (laughs) It's honestly disruptive to our faith as well, just as the gospel was disruptive in Thessalonica to those who were opposed to it. And so we're going to dive in. And we're going to look at what Paul prayed and, and what we can learn from Paul's prayer as we learn how to talk to God when we talk to God about other people. Let's go ahead and read it together. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 11, Paul prays this prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Now he's kind of just recapping the first two chapters when he's just saying, we want to get back to you. We want to get back to you. May God himself clear the way so we can finally get back to you. And then he says this, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And he's really setting up what he is about to continue them uh, in, in teaching. You see, because he can't be with them, he has to do a distance learning program. In fact, you could say that the letters that we have to the church were very much the first distance learning program, and and a lot of us can relate to that. Uh, Those of us who had students who had to zoom in uh, for school the last couple weeks and months. So let's look back at verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Many of us have heard that we're supposed to love our neighbor. Uh, Many of us have heard as well that we're supposed to love our enemy. And what's interesting here is that it's doubled down love. In a sense that Paul is saying, man, you need to double down your love for each other and for everyone else. Everyone else. From those that you love the most to those that you love the least, you need to double down your love for everyone. And we see that in this verse uh, where it says we need to increase and overflow. The original text literally speaks of not just growing in our love, but growing in our love in a way where it literally just pours out of us in a way that we cannot even contain it or help it. And I don't know about you, but as I was studying that verse, I was like, man, I've prayed to, to love my enemy. I've prayed to love those who I just don't really disagree with. I definitely, you know, pray to, to love those who, who, who I love, who, who I agree with the most. But I'm not sure that I've ever prayed that my love for them would increase and overflow. Increase and overflow. And Paul doesn't leave any room for any excuses. He says, for each other and for everyone else. I love, one of the translations actually says, for all people. For all people. 
everyone in between, everyone in your life, around your life, for all people, those who you don't know, for all people. That should sound familiar for those of you who have been a part of Door Creek Church as our vision statement is that we are a Christ-centered church for all people. We're the power of the Gospels, continually transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. You say, man, for all people, that's a tall order. You bet it's a tall order. Let's put it into a little bit of perspective. Maybe you don't like wearing a mask and you go into a store or a building or maybe even someone's home where they ask you to wear a mask and your initial response is one of uh, disgust and like, what do you mean wear a mask? Maybe before you should have any of those reactions, your next prayer should be, your first prayer should be, God help me to have a love that is increasing and overflowing for this person. Maybe you wear a mask because you have a loved one or you yourself are vulnerable. You don't want to get sick. You just want to make sure that you take every precaution so you don't put anyone at risk in your life or around you. And you see others who, who aren't wearing a mask and you're just disgusted. And if you've not seen the science, how much you're just spitting, you know, everywhere. Like, how can you do that? Maybe your first reaction, your next reaction should then be just, God, help my love to increase and overflow for them. Uh, talk about Facebook. One of the most divisive tools right now, when we can't meet together in person we see other posts online and you open your feed and there they are again saying that. Like how idiotic can someone be? Have they not read what I've read? Have they not talked to who I've talked to? How can they possibly be persuaded to think that way? They're being led astray. And you know what I'm going to do? I am going to tell them what's right. What if our response, even on social media, when we see a post that just makes our blood boil, our response is first, God, help my love to increase and overflow for them. Help my love to increase and overflow for them. And it only gets more serious, too, doesn't it? Black Lives Matter. Defund the police. Racism. Systemic racism. White privilege. I could just go on and on and on all these topics that are coming to the surface where it's just so divisive. There are extremes on both sides. And I've per personally witnessed friends disagreeing with each other to an extent that should never be allowed to happen. Because politics divide, but Christ unites us. That's why we're a Christ-centered church for all people, not a politics-centered church for all people. 
or a Christ-centered church for all people? What if for those who we adamantly disagree with the most, the prayer that we pray over every other prayer for them is God help my love to increase and overflow for them? And be careful in your prayer. Don't, don't be snarky. God help my love to increase and overflow for this moron. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what Paul's saying, so be careful. Do we want to seek peace? You, you bet you do. Do we want to pursue the, the justice? Yes. Do we want to fix injustice? Of course we do. And you know, if you were to, to ask me, how should I pray for those that I disagree with? I could have given you a really good biblical answer but until studying this text, I, myself, I've just been so humbled. This has not been a prayer that's been a part of my routine. That God would cause my love to increase and overflow for all people. I, I miss the days when uh, it was just family and Facebook that we could talk about. We don't need all these current events to address this text. Because you see, before he said all people, he said each other. And honestly, it's the each other in our lives that can be the most difficult to love. It can be the most difficult to love. Those who are closest to us tend to also be those who hurt us the most deeply. What if that is part of our prayer for them? Do we want to pray that, that if they're sinning, that they would... That they would see where they're at, that they would turn to Christ and repent and come to know him? Of course. Do, do we want to pray that, that evil would stop and, and that good deeds would be done in Christ's name? Of course we do. But this is also a component of how we should pray for those in our lives who are closest, for the, each others in our life. Do you pray that your love would increase and overflow for them? Uh, you may be listening to this and just thinking about, Mark, how am I supposed to do that? Like, are you kidding me right now? That's impossible. I, I cannot, it, it's, it's enough to even love someone like that. But to increase and overflow my love for them, that's too much. Well, remember who Paul is writing to. Paul's writing to a church in a city where he got booted from. Uh, Jewish leaders turned against him. Uh, the Romans really didn't want to have anything to do with the situation, so they wanted him out too. The church there in Thessalonica, they were being persecuted. You can imagine when they were reading this, they were like, Paul, it's enough if you were to just say, make our love increase and overflow for each other. Why do you have to tack on? tack on and everyone else why'd you have to tack that on well you see he keeps going doesn't he because he says for everyone else just as ours does for you the secret with having our love increasing and overflowing for each other and for all people is the fact that we can't do it the secret to having our love increase and overflow for each other, and for everyone else, for all people, is the fact that we can't do it. 
Paul gives us a cue, though, how it can be done. How does he start? He says this. He says, may the Lord make. He didn't say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, get another energy drink, read another like really great novel or book to inspire you so you can get your juices flowing and, and love other people. No, he said, no, no, no. There's actually a lot of really good people in the world. I don't know if you knew that. I, you may have forgotten about that, actually. But there's a lot of really great people in the world who love other people. In fact, there are books that have nothing to do with Christ who, who will say something very similar to this. Love your enemies. Love those who you disagree with. Love the people who are hardest to love. So what possibly sets this apart? And it's this. It's, that it's this increase and overflow. It's letting the Lord make our love increase and overflow. Right after that, he says, uh, may he, meaning Christ, may he strengthen your hearts. And when we read the word hearts, we interpret hearts as kind of this, uh, this emotion, uh, this, this emotional, when we talk about the heart, it's very emotional. But when Paul is speaking the heart, how they would have read it is it's the, the total self. Paul is saying, may Christ strengthen all of you. May Christ strengthen all of you so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God. He says, may the Lord make you and may he strengthen you. It's only by and through the power of Christ that we can have any of this happen. It's only by his strength, only by his power. We have to ask him for the ability to do this and it is this divine love it's an agape love. Agape is a love that's above all other loves. It's God's love towards us. That God wants us to then extend to everyone else. The each others and the all people. And when Paul says, and when Paul says uh, uh, just as ours does for you, it's just a shadow He's giving us an example that it's only because of Christ's love for us that we are able to be strengthened, that we are able to have the power to love others above and beyond. It's a more than love. It's not just a sentiment. It's an actual physical act of service. And if you spend time reading uh, the rest of Thessalonians, which I would just encourage you to do after our time together, uh, in the end of chapter 5, he kind of gives a set of instructions that's specific to them, but it's also applicable to us in what love in action looks like. What love in action looks like. And Paul's not the first to kind of come to this theme of Loving those who are hard to love. Christ actually said at first, in a section of our Bible, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, some would refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew 5, 44, Jesus instructs us to love our enemies. And get this, he says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What Paul is telling the church 
in Thessalonica is a reiteration of what Christ has already told us. What Paul is explaining to the church in Thessalonica is an iteration of Christ's love for them. What we can learn from reading this text is that this is something that is hard and that is real, but that we need to start incorporating into our lives. And we have all the excuses in the world why not to do this. Mark, you don't know the the pain that they've caused me. Maybe there's a, a prejudice or a jealousy. Pride is almost always somewhere worked into the sin in our life. We can find reasons. Maybe we're being persecuted by them. Maybe we've experienced punishment. Maybe they've killed a loved one. But let's think about Christ. And if the totality of the anguish of the cross was not enough to silence Christ's love, Christ singing his love for those who were the hardest to love, then what could possibly be our excuse? When Christ was on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And some scholars uh, would believe would, and would help us to understand that it wasn't just one thing that was uttered. No, no, Christ was just saying this again and again and again and again. And if the anguish of the cross was not enough to silence Christ's prayer of love for those who were killing him, what is enough for us to be silenced? What could possibly silence us? So we open the scriptures today, and I'm just telling you, this has hit home for me in, in ways that I just I don't have time to share. And my prayer and my hope for us is that for those that are the hardest to love in our lives, the each others and the all peoples, that we would be reminded and that we would seek Christ's help, that he would strengthen us and that he would make our love increase and overflow for the each others and the all peoples of our lives. This weekend, we're celebrating Independence Day. Uh, We're celebrating a day that should be filled with joy. Maybe it's not filled with joy for you. Maybe it is. It's a good day in our country as we just remember our freedom as a nation, our freedom to, to religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom that allows us to engage in the, the conversations that we are currently engaging in as a culture. But for those of you that have your faith and your trust in Christ, may we just also be reminded that we have a much greater freedom and that we have a much greater identity. And that he alone will give us the power and the strength that we need to overcome everything that we need help with in this world. And it can start with this simple prayer. 
this simple prayer that can just disrupt us to the core of our beings. God, help me. Help my love to increase and overflow for each other and for all people. Let's go ahead and let's pray together. So God, just as Paul instructs us, we need your help here. We need your help. And so, Heavenly Father, now may you yourself and our Lord Jesus Christ make our love increase and overflow for each other and for all people, for everyone else, just as your love does for us. May you strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in your presence. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.